Hello, my name is Rory O'Connor and I am President of the International Association for Suicide Prevention. I'm delighted to welcome you to our new podcast series called Reach In, Reach Out. We're hoping to encourage safe conversations around suicide and suicide prevention, and we aim to bring together the different aspects of the work that we do, providing a global perspective, but crucially also sharing stories of hope. A fundamental part of our work is engaging with people with lived and living experience of suicide, either through their own personal experiences of suicidality or through loss and grief. This will be a central strand running through the entire podcast series. Given the sensitive nature of the subject matter, it is vital that we all prioritize our well-being. So please practice self-care. I hope that you find the podcast of interest and we really look forward to hearing what you have to think. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast, Reach In, Reach Out. I'm absolutely delighted today. We've got Sandy Oni, and Sandy Oni is a postdoc at the Black Dog Institute, and that's really interesting because we're here at the Black Dog <laughs> Summit on Self-Harm, but he's also the president of the Indonesian Association of Suicide Prevention. So welcome, Sandy, and thanks for taking the time out for to join our podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Rory. Delighted to be here. Fantastic. So, so tell me a bit about, so obviously you're Indonesian, but you're here in, in Australia, working in Australia. So tell us how, how that came about. How did you end up in the Black Dog Institute? Yeah, absolutely. Like many people's stories, lots of twists and turns, lots of coincidences. I finished up my PhD at UNSW Sydney. I was in experimental psychopathology where we were shocking people to see how they perform on tasks uh, with simulated anxiety. And a job opened up at Black Dog Institute. And everyone at UNSW Sydney knows Black Dog Institute. So I jumped at the chance. I worked with uh, Dr. Mark Larson. Mm -hmm. I still am now. And I've been in suicide prevention ever since. And Mark's a Scottish a fellow Scot, isn't he, Mark Larson? Yes, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, obviously I'm not Scottish, but I live in Scotland. So, yeah. oh, that's, that's excellent. And so, so is your plan to be here for the long term? or? Oh, that's a great question, Rory. I think for now, foreseeable future at Black Dog, because there's just so much that can be done. Where in the Institute, we have researchers. I talk together with people from media, from design, from implementation. That really shapes how I see suicide prevention, not just the papers, but as a whole. Yeah, you know, no, it's great. I, Black Dog are really impressive how they've got that holistic approach of both the research, but really getting it out there in terms of that, the, the dissemination, the public engagement stuff is really, really important work. So then obviously I'm really curious about, so you're, you're obviously living in Australia, but you're the president, obviously, of the Indonesian Association for Suicide Prevention. So tell me, how did that come about and, and how do you marry those two roles Yep, absolutely. So what actually happened was we did a situational analysis for Live Life WHO earlier this year for the National Suicide mm-hmm. Prevention Strategy. And amongst the key recommendations, or key issues rather, one of the things we found is that everything was so siloed. We're no longer at an age where Indonesia doesn't know about mental health and suicide prevention. We're at an age where everyone knows about it, but no one's talking about it together. Mm-hmm. And so that's why me and some other friends who are involved with the national strategy, including people who've been working together with EASP, essentially came together and said, we need a single organization. We need a single body to unite everyone. And that's how the Indonesian Association for Suicide Prevention came about. And for the first time in history, we actually have provincial-level data on suicide prevention. 
And so in terms of the, so when, when was that, when was the association set up? It was actually, st- it actually just started this year's uh, World Suicide Prevention Day. Oh, so fantastic. it's relatively yeah, new. Yeah. And so, so how have you managed to get the provincial level data already then? So I think like a lot of countries with nascent data systems, it's a little bit of a mess. There's mm-hmm. police data, there's death registry data, there's some study data, and none of them match up, Rory, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. I know, it's a, it's a huge challenge, that. So how yeah. are you addressing that challenge and of trying to match up the different data sources? So what we've done is a couple of analysis. The first thing we've done is an underreporting analysis. Mm-hmm. And there's been reviews of papers in the past looking at underreporting of different countries. And I think on average, it's between 0 to 50%. Like there was a recent study by um, Vikash and some fellows from YAS as well, which found yeah. that India 30 to 50%. We compared police level data, police data, which is often considered the gold standard mm-hmm. because it goes through the criminal justice system, with a study data. They did a registry study across Indonesia covering about 9 million people. Wow. And we found an underreporting rate of at least 300%. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So then in terms of the world's sort of perspective or in terms of the rates of suicide in Indonesia, where, where, where does Indonesia fit, for those who don't know, in terms of globally, in terms of its rates of suicide? It's actually not that high. The WHO has predicted, estimated about 2.6 per 100,000. And is that taken into consideration under-reporting issues? or Now, that's the thing. I did an investigation and we couldn't find out where they got that exact number from. Okay. We're still looking into it. Our number is a little bit different. Ours is about one per 100,000. But given all the various different types of underreporting analysis, we've just completed one. And so that's why I say that it's at least 300%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. And so in terms of the broader outlook about mental health and mental health services in Indonesia, what are things there in terms of, is it easy access to services? What sort of, sort of mental health system do you have in place? It's not great, to be very honest. You have about 4,400 psychologists and psychiatrists mm-hmm. for over 273 million people. Wow. Oh. But that's not the worst of it, where they've just introduced community mental health into the psychological education system, let alone they haven't even touched suicide prevention. Okay. Yeah. So there's been progress made in recent years, but we're going to move on to the, the declaration in a second. But so in the last... so. Was there resistance, and just going back to our, sort of where we started, so was there resistance to you setting up the Association for Suicide Prevention or, or not? Or how has that, that gone down in the context of, right, there's some progress in mental health services, there's new developments, but, you're, you, but what I understand you're saying, it's still pretty stretched and minimal. Oh, absolutely. And the starting up of INASP is very much just a starting point because I think we had another person on YAS podcast a while ago, which talked about the religious stigma yeah, to yeah. mental health in Indonesia. Good friend Benny, of mine, Benny. 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 Yeah, Benny. Yeah, a friend yeah, of mine yeah, as well. Yeah. And it's very prevalent because the thing is, we don't say mental health in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. We call it the health of the soul, kesehatan jiwa. And so people, we know that not everyone who suicides is diagnosed with a mental health condition, but it's for us in Indonesia they would have an issue of the soul. And that's why there's a lot of opposition from mental health and from suicide prevention when we're starting up INAS, because everyone's thinking, why document something that's a cardinal sin? Yeah. Why yeah. document something that's a mortal sin? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but we ended up doing it anyway. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, that's, no, it's fascinating because, yeah, so how do you then tackle something also which has, maybe the, there's not even a word for it in the way that we would, in the Western world, we describe it. So I think those those nuances are so important as we mm. as we try and have these culturally culturally sensitive and culturally tailored approaches to suicide prevention. So that brings me on then to 
really amazing work that, that, that you've been spearheading, I understand, is it the, the Lombok Declaration. So can you tell us a bit about that? And that's a pretty recent thing, isn't it? So it comes from the situational analysis where we discovered there was this prevalent stigma, like some sort of mist that went through policy, that went through funding, that went through families, organizations, everywhere. And we just couldn't trace where it came from. And then one of the, the, the candidate sort of culprits was because, of course, Indonesia is the world's largest religious country. Yeah. In fact, Rory, if you went to an Indonesian street out in the open and you said something against God, they would be able to put you in jail by law because blasphemy is punishable by jail time. And in fact, religion itself has governed even public elections. But on the flip side, we can use it for good because research has shown that's what actually increased vaccination intakes when they use a religious perspective to that. Mm -hmm. And so we decided, you know what, because let's face it, the health of the soul, kesehatan jiwa, and suicide prevention has been around since 1960. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Indonesia led Southeast Asia and much of Asia Pacific in its mental health and the health of the souls yeah. <laughs> policy and infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. But ever since then, it's taken a slow downturn. So we thought to ourselves, I could go out and talk about this as much as I want, but people won't listen. Advocates, we have NGOs, and there's very, very, very little progress. And then we thought... What if the religious leaders came together and advocated for this? Because they would listen to religious leaders, right? So in June, as part of the C20, G20 event, we got everyone together in Lombok, all the different religions. We got the Muslims, Catholics, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, as well as the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Religion. We locked ourselves in a room for two days and we asked ourselves, given the condition in Asia, what do we need to say to the people? And so we got together, we made the Lombok Declaration, five declarations for the people, seven declarations for the system. And on the 29th of October, we got together, we had 2,000 people, they signed it in full view, including... So who, who signed it then? All of the, all of the, rep, all the representatives of the different religions yes. and government? Yes. So we have religion, we have government, and we have representatives from NGOs, psychological associations, clinicians, basically right. everyone saying this is how we see it. I'm really excited to see you today, Rory, because actually... We have one here for EAS that yeah, I have no, here for a, you. I'm so delighted. Yeah, no, thanks a million. No, that is really, really impressive. Really impressive. And obviously the listener, listener can't see the, <laughs> the declaration, but really, and it's good everybody's, all the witnesses are really, really fascinating. There's only 12 of those, those copies in the world. Wow. Well, um, we're very honored at EAS. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> we'll get a photograph of this after we finish recording the podcast. So so then on, so you've got, I, I can't, with my glasses, I can just about read so you've got the, in terms of the, you've got the five, what the five declarations for, for, is that for people? Yes. And then five, and then seven for organizations. Is that right? Or the systems. Do you want to tell us a bit about those then and, and what you're hoping that the declaration will achieve? Yeah, absolutely. So the first five declarations, it focuses on treating one another and how do we see mental health and suicide prevention. So for example, this was declared on the day where one of the recommendations, it says, you know, mental health and suicide it's not something that we need to hide, but rather something that we need to bring into the light, mm -hmm. something that we need to tackle together. And so there's an explanation as the reader where they say, you know what, from today on, no one needs to feel ashamed of having these challenges, but rather share it, we'll tackle it together. There's another one that actually says, you know, it's recommended by religion, by religious leaders to seek social and professional help. Because typically, Indonesia has the highest incidents, if I'm not mistaken, or burden, something like that, please don't quote me on this, of schizophrenia in the world. So right. typically mental health has been associated with a lack of agency mm -hmm. in schizophrenia, and thus psychologists and psychiatrists have as well. We're saying anyone, according to religious leaders, you don't have to be somebody who's gila, which is an Indonesian term, or crazy to see a psychologist or psychiatrist, but it's recommended 
to see a professional. Wow. And so and so how so I can see it then onto the overall system approaches here. Number seven, you've got there's one asset also on media reporting. Yes. So you've got everything from the media reporting through to of the the one the declaration number one, obviously this idea of such an important one. The first declaration then is mental health issues are not something to be hidden and ashamed of, but rather universal issues that must be addressed. Yes. I mean, really powerful stuff. So then, so in terms, what was the process by which you ended up with whatever this these whatever twelve, yeah, the twelve declarations? So how did that? How did you? I know you said you brought together all the key partners. Yeah. But was it like in a roundtable discussion or, or what sort of thing was it? Or did you, did some of you lead on, here's what we think the issues are? Yeah. So this is where I'm really happy to have had my suicide prevention experience because it's simply, we took the process from lived experience co-design. And so we had our roundtable and we had religious leaders. After, so in the beginning, I talked about this is the condition in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. This is about suicide. This is mental health because not a lot of them have known about these issues. Following that, we got each religious leader to talk about the situation in their own religion. Yeah. Then we came together. We put out some prompts so we didn't have to start from scratch. And then from then on, we just sat together and said, no, we should be putting it this way. We should be doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And after locking ourselves for two days, out came the 12 declarations. Yeah, no, no it's, fan- it's fantastic. But I think the other thing, which I just wonder to what extent we haven't done enough of, of this historically in suicide prevention, is drawing on the wisdom of generations of time thousands of years of, of different religions and how the power, what we can learn, harness that for the good. And, and I think that's what you're obviously trying to do here, which, which is fantastic. So then, so what are you hoping? So what, and, and this sounds like an awful question, but what would success look like from the declaration, say, in five years' time? What are you hoping to achieve? Yeah. For me, what success would look like is that if every single person in the country heard of this and it set them free. Because essentially, wow. we know that from cognitive behavioral therapy that our beliefs determine how we act and what we think. And so we're trying to do cognitive challenging to the entire country by tackling these beliefs that, in fact, did come out from the situational analysis directly with these declarations. Yeah, no, fantastic. And, and so in terms of the, your key partners in this, we've got the religious leaders. But then I can see in the declaration, you, you name various government departments as well. So it's yeah. not just a government representative representative. Is it that you that and I'm not quite certain who all the signatories are here, but is it this whole of government approach to suicide prevention in conjunction with the religious leaders? Is that what's happening? So there is a degree of government involvement, mm-hmm. but we cannot ignore the fact that Indonesia's mental health in terms of its government is still quite nascent. It still has a lot of progress to go. It's done great in the past. But so what we're trying to do here is combine the top-down and bottom-up approach. We're working together with government. We're involving the Ministry of Health, who was present at the, at the forming of this declaration. Mm-hmm. But we essentially want to empower everyone in the country to, to act out these declarations. And so then, so in terms of practically on the ground, in terms of action, in terms of action plans, so how are you going to disseminate these really important messages, these really important declarations? Because you, you had a huge... You're, your message about success is incredibly ambitious, really, really impressive. What do you, what, what are you as, a, as an association and yourself and other partners doing to really try and implement this? Yeah, so we were a little bit cheeky about that. We realized if we had a declaration but no one heard about it, it wouldn't work. Yeah, it would yeah. defeat the purpose entirely. Would be much of a declaration. Yeah, right? exactly. It wouldn't be a declaration. <laughs> so what we thought: How do we make an event that would draw people in, unite people because of Indonesia's incredibly siloed nature? And so we thought to ourselves. Why don't we go for a Guinness World Record? Wow. And so on the same day, we had this declaration. We had an event. We had an education session with the WHO and myself. And we went for the Guinness World Record for the world's most users for an online mental health 
event. And what we did with that is if you, if I can show you the declaration, oh, sorry, if I can show you the Guinness World Record on another day, yeah. it doesn't have my name on it. It doesn't have an organization's name on it. It just says the Indonesian Mental Health Consortium. Why? Because so that every organization, every person in the country who attended will have ownership over that and by association, the declaration. So, have you, so that hasn't happened yet? We did it. We well, got the Guinness World Record. On the same day. On the same day. On the same day. <laughs> oh, my, right. So what is the record? So, so how did, well, there's so many questions to unpackage un- there. Right? So, and so how did you do that then? Yeah, absolutely. So we worked together with an event organizer. Yeah, yeah. And in, in we, had the, we had an event titled, It Starts and Ends With Us to tackle the health of the soul in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And so on the day we had the signing of the declaration, we had the education session, we had a panel with lived experience with public figures, including the Tokyo gold medalist, uh, Gracia Poli, who talked about vulnerable relationship. Yeah. And we wanted people to come in to hear the declaration, to get the education, to see the examples. But this is what happened at the very end. We worked together with the Indonesian Clinical Psychological Association, and we had a hundred psychologists waiting outside where people could just walk up to them for free. So they wow. have their stigma broken yeah, yeah. and immediately they can talk to someone and seek help. Fantastic. So what is the world record? So the world record is most users, I hope I don't get this wrong, in an online mental health awareness video. And what's the number? Do we know what the number is? Yep. So the number itself, uh, we hit about 770 online. Uh-huh. We had, because we, they have to attend and complete a post test. We had over yeah, a thousand something yeah. people. But that's the current number. And if I'm not mistaken, we're the first developing country to hold a mental health record. Yeah. And my uh-huh. hope is that it gets broken quickly by other countries with their culturally and textually appropriate approaches. Mm-hmm. Or you can... Break it again. Break it again. <laughs> Get it into the four figures and five figures in time. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And then what? And was that covered in winning the record, breaking the record? Was that covered in the media in, in Indonesia? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we did a huge media run about this. I mean, what about the declaration, about the speakers, about the Guinness World Record? And so now we're partnering with media because advertising and media is one of the few ways we can get the sound out to everyone in the country. So my hope is that, because you've heard, have you heard of Pasong? Um, no. It's something that happens in Indonesia where people are actually shackled up and chained up for having mental health issues. Oh my God. And it was outlawed in, I think, 2014, yeah, but it yeah. still happens till this day. And so we want people all across Indonesia to hear this declaration and go, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. I don't need to feel ashamed. I'm not less of a human being. Yeah, I'm not morally deficit from this. Yeah. So that's the goal. But so then, and so the, on that shackling then, so, so that's... So how common is that? You're saying obviously it was de- well, decriminalized or in 2014, but so have you any idea how many people that's ha- who, who that happens to or has happened to over the years? I don't have the number off the top of my head, but in terms of culturally and contextually specific issues, if you don't mind, I'll share another one real quickly, Rory. Have you ever heard of Pulongantung, which is no. more relevant to us in the ES? Is that in a specific area, this mountain in Indonesia, they say if you see a fireball on top of a house, someone in that house must die by suicide. And that's something that we would often consider a fringe issue. It's like, what is a superstition? Yeah, yeah. And yet that specific province is one of the top five highest suicide rates in the country. I mean, that takes a second to reflect on that then. So that, it's only one, one province that you say that that happens. That's one province, but that's the thing. Indonesia, I wouldn't consider 
it's not really a country in my eyes. It's it's multiple countries wearing a trench coat and stuff yeah, together yeah, okay. you know, with all the different beliefs that we need to tackle on a provincial and cultural level. And so how, you, how are you trying to tackle that one in particular then? Yep, absolutely. So we've already got great people on the ground who've been working on it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. We still don't fully understand what happens. We've had these case studies, which I won't go into in, into a lot of detail, mm-hmm. but where it we just can't sim- simply can't ignore it. But what we're trying to do introduce is research and data. That's a strength that we have outside that we may not necessarily have inside in Indonesia yeah, that yeah. INASP is trying to introduce. Oh, fantastic. And But in terms of the next steps then yeah. for the, because the declaration, so I can see what you're doing, trying to really get that message out there in the national context. But have you any sense of what, what lessons do you think we as a global suicide prevention community can learn from your experiences so far? Absolutely. I think we cannot ignore the fact that different countries require different approaches. Mm-hmm. And so this, we've consulted with the WHO and they've confirmed in fact that this is the first instance of a religious national declaration like this. So what I'd encourage is every country, of course, look at the literature, look at what's been done, but really assess, is this relevant in our context? Yeah, yeah. Is there any traditional knowledge that we have that we can integrate in order to improve our efforts? Yeah, no, I think that's a really important message. I think as, as an organization, YASP is really trying to ensure that we have obviously global action but obviously local solutions on the ground and I think but also learning I don't think as a as a community as a field we've done well enough in terms of learning from each other from each other's cultures and then trying to and have it in a bi-directional way because obviously historically it's been high-income countries Mm. thinking they know it all when they certainly don't they certainly do not and but it's learning both from what's going on in in low and middle-income countries and different cultures and what we can learn from each other is vital, is vital. So it'll be interesting having this conversation with you <laughs> maybe in five years' time to see where the declaration has gone. Yeah. Just a couple of other questions, and we'll maybe bring it bring it to a close, Sandy. Is, so that's obviously the declaration and your plans and aspirations. But with the association now, the Indonesian Association for Suicide Prevention, what are you hoping to achieve in the next, or you, what's planned for the next year, say? Oh, that's quite easy. Where we're planning a conference next September, the Indonesian Association for Suicide Prevention Conference. Why? Because a lot of the papers and good research produced in Indonesia isn't indexed. Mm-hmm. And so there's no real way to do a systematic review All right, okay. of the literature yeah. of what we've known so far. And so we thought, okay, one way to do that, bring everyone together as a conference like we're doing now for this summit for people mm-hmm. to share and talk about their research because that's the only way we'll be able to have a clear situational analysis of what our knowledge base is yeah, so far. Yeah. And so in, so in terms of people involved in the association, so how many people are involved thus far? Is it a small, tight group number of people, and you're hoping to grow that? Is that right? Yep, absolutely. So it's a small, tight group so far. I've got my partner, uh, Dr. Damba Bastari. So her mother, Dr. Nal- Professor Nalini Mudi, is actually the Indonesian representative for ASF in Indonesia. And so we're working together to set this up. We've got Dr. Bahrul Fuad, which is an internationally renowned disability advisor who's worked with the WHO. And so he's helped craft a lot of international policies about that. And I can just go on and on with the amazing people we have at our team. Yeah, but that's just growing, but starting small and then obviously grow and grow and grow. Yeah. Really exciting stuff. And thanks so much for taking the time. But two questions, maybe less related to the suicide prevention work, (laughs) but maybe a bit of advice. We're here at the Black Dog Institute Summit in Self-Harm and, and we're part of that activity. We're planning as an early career day tomorrow. And, and so I'm really just curious to see what a piece of advice you would give to a new researcher setting out in their path today. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think the best piece of advice that I could give is to think differently. Just because we have all this research, all this literature, it doesn't mean we have all the answers yet. Try to do something different. Try to do something no one else has ever done before. Try approaches that people may not necessarily endorse when they first look at it, but try anyway. Yeah, no, I absolutely brilliant piece of advice. And then one last one, which is a wee <laughs> bit unfair, this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sandy, tell me, reflecting in, again, sort of a reflective piece, so what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? Absolutely. I don't think it's a coincidence you've given that question, Rory, because 16 years old is when I was first diagnosed with major depressive disorder with suicidal ideation. I'm going to tell my 16-year-old self and to any other people out there, it can and does get better. Yeah, no, it's such an important, important message, especially as we know, so sorry to hear, but obviously the struggles at that teenage 16, because as we well know, only too well, that's when we really start to see the onset of, of mental health problems. And But yeah, it's, and I'm also, I suppose that the adolescent mind often plays tricks on us in terms of our projections to the future. And we think <laughs> the next week or the next two weeks is like, oh my, that's going to take forever. Yeah. And just recognize yet yeah, things do get better. So that's a fantastic piece of advice. So Stanley, thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk to us today. And just before we end, is there anything you would like to, to tell the YASP community, which we haven't touched on today? Nothing in particular, but make sure you connect with your Global South counterparts. There's so much traditional knowledge out there. Talk to them, learn from them, and we can actually study it in a systematic way. No, great. And that's what we're trying to do in our strategic approaches with looking at our regional development plans and really trying to ensure that, yeah, that's globally, we're really, we've so much, we have made a lot of progress in terms of developing our, our connections and obviously our representatives on the ground in the Global South and really, really vital work. And so, no, we will continue with these partnerships. And it's with the energy and enthusiasm from people like you, I think we are making such progress. So huge thanks for everything you do. And I really look forward to hearing how the declaration is embedded in the months and years ahead. So thanks very much, Sandy. Thank you for having me, Rory. Take care.